I would say, you know, I'm no different than anyone else. At the at the core of who I am, I'm just a dreamer and a relationship builder. So for me, that was where it started. It was the dream that I had. And then it was saying, okay, if I want to get there, what does that really look like? What does that really take? Failure weighs ounces. Regret weighs tons. You have to be willing to go all in. It either has to work or it has to work. There can't be a plan B. So I always had it in the back of my mind that at some point I was going to do whatever I wanted to. It's just that really said, okay, now there's no better time than now. But you have to say, okay, you know, what's the worst that could happen from this situation if I go A route? What's the worst that could happen from if I go B route? So every day I just had to keep showing up and believe, right? And and that my dream would come true, that I would help people sell buy and sell houses. And in the end, I would be able to buy my own house as well. And welcome to the I Love Success podcast. My virtual world tour continues. And today I am in Omaha, Nebraska to meet with an incredible human being. He had the backs against his wall and he didn't have any other choice than move up. He has decided to help other people and just overall grow in life. Meet Casanova Brooks, the real estate agent, author, speaker, and host of the Dream Nation podcast. Welcome, Casanova. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, I'm super grateful to be able to talk to to you today. And uh, can we just talk a little bit about your name? I think it's super cool. Uh, I remember growing up, Casanova was the guy who got all the girls. Is that you? No, I got I got a wife now. My son is named Casanova Jr. We call him CJ. So maybe he <laughs> could take on that role. But I would say, no, I'm no longer in that game. That's awesome. Congratulations. And can we just go back to you growing up? Uh, can you tell me a little bit about your childhood and what was the, the most important memories for, from you as a child? Yeah. So I would say when I first grew up, uh, I was raised originally in Chicago, Southside. So I grew up with a single mom. Um, I was really just an inner city kid. I had not a lot of resources. Um, I had not a lot of financial literacy. I wasn't really being mentored and taught because my dad was never in my life. But my mom, they always gave me love and support. So I was never deprived of that. Um, but I was always a dreamer, I would say. For me, I had big dreams. I wanted to figure out how I could really go after those dreams. I wanted to be every. I wanted to be everything, right? So what do I mean by that? I remember I originally wanted to play professional sports. Then I wanted to be a big time lawyer. Um, at one point, I remember I was thinking, man, it would be cool to be the president. Like I, I had big dreams all the time. But the one thing that I knew though was um, it was all about relationships for me. So from a young age, I was always somebody who I could really find my way in different circles. Right. Because I just I, I loved building relationships with people. So that was where I started from. Then when I was uh, 15 years old, I was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma cancer. Um, I went through two years of chemo. That was obviously a very trying time in my life because of the fact that I was a 15 year old boy. And I was really trying to figure out what I was going to do with the rest of my life, even though I was still so young. And on top of that, I'm trying to manage friends and emotions and girlfriends and all these things. So 
that was definitely a trying time. And then um, also about five and a half years ago, I went through another storm where I lost my mom, my job in my home all within a matter of a couple of weeks. So I would say, you know, I'm no different than anyone else at the, at the core of who I am. I'm just a dreamer and a relationship builder. Thank you for sharing that. And if we can go back to when you were 15, what do you recall during these challenges? Like what, what was going through your mind and what kept you moving forward at those times? Yeah. So I'll be honest at this time, I didn't really know what the real implications of cancer was. Right. I didn't really know like what that all meant. All I knew was that I had no choice but to take it one step at a time, take one day, take one appointment, um, take one hour at a time. And so the thing that I really remember was for me, I was always healthy as a young child. Like I don't ever remember having chicken pox, measles, the flu, nothing. And then to all of a sudden be 15 and you find yourself having a hard time breathing and then they're doing tests and checkups on you. And in the beginning, when they first said that they were going to keep me overnight, my thought was that I was going to stay in the hospital. I was going to get ice cream and sponge baths from nurses. And uh, this is going to be the greatest. Right. Well, then I quickly learned that none of that was true and it became a lot of needles and it became a lot of medicine and it became a lot of, hey, are you OK? And it was just a lot of worry. Um, but I think my parents, my mom and grandma specifically, they did a very good job of kind of shielding me from it. And so I'm very grateful of that because they allowed me to just at least keep focusing on um, taking it one step at a time rather than worrying about all of the other things that come with you know, the burden of anyone having cancer. Yeah. And how, can you just talk a little bit about your grandma and how she affected you in your life? What did she teach you? And what, what was, how was your relationship? Yeah. So my, my grandma's still around and uh, she, she teaches me something all the time when we talk. And so I think the one thing that she taught me was really to never let them see you sweat. Right. And so what do I mean by that? I think that it's always that you have to take action. You have to continue to push forward. Like my grandma's what? 44, 20. My grandma's 76 years old and she still works as much as she can. Right. Like it, it's crazy. And so for her, I remember as a young age, like her and my mom was always working. And so um, what my mom would always say was that she was robbing Peter to pay Paul. Right. Because they were always trying to give me as much as they could. And, and I think they did a very good job of, of what they could manage to give me. My grandma, she was more of the father figure in the sense that she was a lot harder on me. But then she also rewarded me with a lot of things as well. So I remember gym shoes that I wanted, you know, sports that I wanted to play. My grandma was always um, you know, that person that would probably give up her paycheck to do that. So we we remained we remain now even very close. But at that time, I mean, always growing up, I had a very good relationship with my grandma. I felt that there was a lot of love, but at the same time, it was a balance because there was definitely a lot of discipline there. Um, but yeah, I mean, she's taught me so many things in life. I would definitely argue to say she's been the the strength and the backbone of me. Um, and yeah, I'm blessed to have her. I, I know that if I did not have her, there would have been so much um, less wisdom that I would be able to have and even give off uh, without having her in my life. Yeah, I love that. And to just talk about when you were a young kid, did you ever wonder where's your dad and how did that affect you? Because I know there's a lot of kids out there right now who's growing up without a dad or a mom and they're always kind of questioning that. So can you just share your experience? 
Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I definitely wondered a lot. I think early on, my dad lived in Chicago and he still does. Um, we've just never had a relationship and he was never, you know, there for me. But I think, you know, I definitely wondered. There was times where I was wondering, did I do anything wrong? Especially with going through cancer and my dad's not right there, knowing that I'm I'm his seed and I'm only three and a half hours away, you know, but still yet he never even comes and sees me. So I think I definitely dealt with that. But I thought, I think that for me, it was don't focus on the negative, focus on the positive. And so what was the negative? The negative was that he stood me up many a times. He never built a relationship with me. He never came to any of my my sports or anything like that, um, even though he was willing or even though he was able is a better word to say, because health wise, he was fine. And he actually owned businesses and things like that. Like I never... I never knew what the implications of that was because I never saw like the backside of his business or he never taught me anything, but I just knew he owned some hair salons and things like that. But um, I think I focused on the positive to, for me, it was always who I, at least I do have some people in my corner, which is my mom, which is my grandma, which are other family members who were always, you know, at least just trying to be some type of a positive beacon of hope for me and just tell me that, Hey, you can do whatever you want. Hey, you're talented in this area, whatever it is. So I think that my mom and grandma kind of shielded me from that mindset to where I didn't go looking for the negative because I was surrounded by as much positive as I could be. That's great. And and what do you want to say to kids out there that are like in the same situation? Um, I think that the biggest thing is to find find someone who is out there that you can latch on to and you can learn from. I think nowadays I, we can get caught up in wondering, you know, do I have a mom or do I have a dad or or what do I have? But I think that there's always someone out there who will lend you their hand, right? Who will be uh, that beacon of hope for you. And so for me, I, I think as a young kid, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know that like, oh man, I needed a dad. But what I did know was that I needed to learn something from somewhere. Um, and I was always searching. And so for a lot of the times that could be teachers. Like I remember I did have a teacher when I was very young that took me in, you know, and, and he tried to at least make sure I was on the straight and narrow path. He didn't take me in as in I didn't live with him, but I just mean that like on weekends and things like that, he would try to come and get me from the inner city hood that I was living in, at least my little neighborhood. And he would try to, you know, take me for ice cream or do something like that. So that was always a highlight. So I would tell any young kid is to maybe don't focus on, in a sense, the title, as in my dad or my mom or my brother, but focus on the person. Because I think that a lot of the times we all have that person and it might come in an informal way, like a counselor or like even YouTube. I mean, there's so many, yes, you can get a lot of the negative stuff from YouTube or not even negative, but um, entertainment. But at the same time, you a lot of value and a lot of education from YouTube as well. So if you find those people and if they books or if they have blogs or if they have podcasts, you know, when you're 15, 16 years old, study their information, learn to change your mindset overall. And I think you'll be successful before you even know it. I think that's such a great lesson to, to kind of focus on having role models. I'm a, a karateka, so I've done karate since I was a kid and my father was my coach, but there comes a lot of kids that my father has helped that might not have a great relationship with their parents or have tough at home. So there's so many, that lesson you said, there's always someone that wants is willing to lend a hand. That's such a great lesson. And I think 
when when we look at our lives and 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 see like what is most important and for me what gives me most joy is helping others right not making that great deal that's that's awesome as well but actually lending my hand to somebody it makes you happy i would agree i would definitely agree and Casanova, i want to talk a little bit about uh being an inner city kid or why do you think you like can you talk about how did you change your path or why didn't you end up in the corner selling drugs like what what was going on in your mind and how did you kind of create a good life for yourself yeah so i think that there's a lot of people that played a part in this you know first and foremost my mom and grandma that they they kind of always told me like hey you got to stay away from the corner you know i had family members that were into drugs that were into gangs that was into violence all those things so i think that they all at least looked out for me to say hey you don't want to live this life that i'm living or you don't want to live this life that he's living and so being young it helped to at least spark a little bit of fear into me right because i was just like wow like um, they're telling me that, that, that I don't want to do that. And so in so many ways, I was very rebellious. But in those ways, I, I guess I just really looked and, and I seen death as a young age, you know, from not only best friends, but from other people who my mom um, was very, very close with. So for me, I, I think that a lot of people played a hand in that. But how did I, you know, start to create the life that I wanted and the life that I'm living today? I think it first started with my mindset and making a decision. For me, I, I take it all back, and that's why I have my podcast, Dream Nation, but I take it all back to everything starts with a dream, right? You had a dream that you wanted to impact a million people. Regardless if you hit a million, if you hit 5 million, or if you only hit 5,000, it started with that dream, right? The numbers didn't really matter. You focused really not on the, the, the process, but you focused on what is the impact. Right. If the impacts because we got to have a why and and I didn't want to be as cliche to say, figure out what your why is. But the reason why I say you got to have a why is because you need something that will pull you through the toughest of times. You need something that's bigger than you. And so for me, I always knew that, like, I wanted to be able to impact other people to where they said, hey, because of you, I did not quit. Right. We all have an unfair advantage. For some of us, it's being able to draw. For some of us, it's being able to be very analytical. For some of us, it's having a lot of patience. Like my wife, she has a ton of patience where I, I don't have as great a patience. Right. For some of us, it is, you know, being an action taker. Right. Whereas other people are very, very risk averse. There's so many things, but you have to figure out what is your your gift, what's your your superhero power. And then after you make that decision, you have to tie it into your dream. So with the superhero power, I have a dream that I would like to do this. And then you have to constantly ask yourself, well, why do I want to do this? Okay, well, what are the steps that's needed to be taken to do it? So for me, I started with starting with that dream, figuring out, okay, what did it take for me to get there? And that meant that I had to level up my mindset, right? That meant that it wasn't about necessarily just what I knew, but more importantly, who I knew, and even better than that, who knew me, right? Because those are the people who were going to be willing to put their name on my name as in a cosign. And then at the end of the day, that would allow me to open up many more doors, which again, I would be able to have much more impact. So for me, that was where it started. It was the dream that I had 
And then it was saying, okay, if I want to get there, what does that really look like? What does that really take? And that, that was how I started to, you know, really defined who I was and what I was going after. And did this, did this start as for many others when you were down on your luck, when you had some, when, when life was hard? No, I wouldn't say that it did, to be honest. I think my dream was always high. I think what, what prompted me to take action was at that time when my back was up against the wall. And I think that's where a lot of people are. But my dreams is always there. I just never was really doing anything with it. But when I went through, you know, those couple of weeks and I, and I really understood that, like, for me, I had to bet on myself, right? Because I couldn't put my security in anyone else anymore. So I had to bet on myself. And because I was down and out, because I had no college degree, because I had no trust fund or none of that, I knew that my son was still watching me. My wife still needed me. And at this time, she was dependent or she was supporting me, not only emotionally, but now financially as well. So I knew that I had to get up. I had to do something or otherwise I was always going to live with some regret. So yes, when I was down and out, it definitely prompted me to take action, to not look back. But I would say I was a dreamer even before then. So I always had it in the back of my mind that at some point I was going to do whatever I wanted to. It's just that really said, okay, now there's no better time than now. I think you're touching on a great point because almost everyone has some type of dream, but so few actually take action. And unfortunately, we wait a lot of us wait until we're down on our luck. I got fired from my job. That's when I started uh, creating a better life. So w- w- what do you want to tell to those people that have that dream and they're not taking action because life is kind of half ass good or bad? Yeah, I would say that failure weighs ounces, regret weighs tons right? Failure weighs ounces, regret weighs tons. I think a lot of the times the reason why we don't take action is because we're afraid to fail. We're afraid of what other people may think. We're afraid of our egos being crushed. Sometimes we're just afraid to to lose money, whatever it may be. But if we understand that at the end of the day, we do have a a date with destiny, right? And that time's going to come when you're 40, when you're 50, hopefully when you're 80. But you don't want to look back on it. And when you look back on your life, you say, hey, I really, I regret not taking that chance because you only get one shot at this. So for me, it was all about, I got to take those chances now and understanding that if you're listening to this right now, there's a huge possibility that right now your motor is running higher than it ever has, right? And if your motor is running higher than it ever has, this is now, there's no better chance than there ever will be for you to be able to really capitalize on whatever it is, because later on, you're going to have more responsibilities, right? Inflation, taxes are going to go up. It's only going to get harder from here. So right now is the best opportunity. I say in real estate all the time, you know, the best time to ever invest in a real estate was 20 years ago. The second best time is today. You have to be willing to go all in. It either has to work or it has to work. There can't be a plan B. And can you just talk us through that moment when you decided to go into real estate and and, and kind of why and how, how that has affected your life? Yeah. So what happened was I was at the time working a W-2 job, right? I knew that I wanted more, but I couldn't figure out where was going to be my lane of where I would jump out of corporate America to hop into 
entrepreneurship in its purest form. And so at this time, I, I wound up watching YouTube. I was studying it and uh, I wasn't looking for anything in particular. I was just kind of, you know, looking at everything, right? I just wanted to, to, to feel like I was learning something. And I wound up coming across a YouTube video where a guy said, you know, be the Lord of your And I was like, wow, okay. But like, I didn't know anything about what that meant. My parents never owned a house, car, business, nothing. So how do I be the Lord of my land? And I looked deeper into his story, his background, and he started as a realtor. He became like a celebrity realtor doing a lot of high-end homes, working with um, affluent celebrities and football players and things like that. And then he transitioned to like an investor, a developer, and all these other things. And I said, wow, okay, well, I don't know anything about being a Lord of my land right now, but I know I can build relationships with other people. I can help them buy, sell, or invest. And then I could take my commissions and I could use it uh, to then buy my own real estate. And so that was kind of the transition of what allowed me to go get my real estate in the beginning or my real estate license in the beginning. And then from there, it was off to the races because I knew that what I had was the ability to build relationships with people. So that was all I was trying to do was to serve other people, build relationships with them. And then I knew that in the end, I would be able to get whatever it was that I wanted. That's awesome. And why, why do you think you're so good at building relationships? And what would you say are the key things to think about for people that want to be good at having these conversations and connecting with people? Yeah, well, I think the first thing is to understand that everything is about giving at the end of the day, right? Everything is about giving and and everyone gives in their own way. But a lot of the times when we when we associate giving, we associate it with something of monetary value or something of like big stature. But a lot of the times just giving a compliment can help so many people. Because they're already going through so much tragedy, so much there's so much uncertainty in life. So if we focus on giving and we focus on, hey, what are the things that I could do right now, wherever I am, to make somebody else's day better? At the end, you never know what that's going to bring back to you, right? So for me, I always focused on the giving and the serving. That was how I, before I even got into real estate. And I focused on the things that I could do. I couldn't give a lot of money because I didn't have a lot of money, but I could always give a smile. I could always give, a, I could always hold the door open for someone. I could always say please and thank you because those are the things that didn't require anything from me, right? So that was where I started with. And then the second, th the second thing is whenever I approach a conversation, even to this day, and what I learned early on was, Quickly, we want to start talking about ourselves. But if we start talking about ourselves, then we miss the opportunity to, to solve a problem for someone else. And if you look at it and you say, man, I want a lot of money, right? I, I want to be able to buy my family a big house, all these things. Well, the, the income that you bring in is the direct correlation of the people that you've served. You look at it, the richest man in the world, Jeff Bezos, what happens? Everyone's using Amazon. He's solving a need, a convenience, a problem for so many people, right? The bigger the problem that you have, the more income that you'll bring in. So for me, that was the big thing. And what I learned early on was something that I got from a mentor of mine, and he had told me teammate, right? So right when I start a conversation, it's teammate, tell me about yourself. Tell me about you. 
Because that's what I want to know. Because if I can get you to start opening up and talking about you, trust me, I'll get my time whenever. Because what will naturally happen? After you feel like you've been talking for 10, 15 minutes, you'll say, man, enough about me. So tell me about you. But hopefully, if I've listened long enough and I've heard some of your cries, now that's opened up opportunity for me to try to solve some of those problems for you. And I don't even have to tell you that I'm going to solve those, but it could be something as small talk as, yeah, the wife's got me painting right now. This is a headache. I wish we could just, and you're just small talking. Well, if I know a painter, now I get to add value to two people because at the end, after we exchange numbers, after our coffee, lunch, meeting, whatever it was, I go back to my painter and I say, hey, I want to connect you with somebody who's looking for a great painter. I send a three-way text or email or however I communicate. Now I just added value to you and I added value to the painter. Maybe you use them, maybe you don't, but now you understand that at the core of everything, I was listening to your problems. So that would be the next step that I love to do. And then last but not least, I love follow-up because I think with so many things, the world is going so fast with us, right? So just the the small task, and, and task might be the wrong word to say, but just the small gesture is a better word of sending somebody a message, whether it's Facebook, LinkedIn, text message, video, whatever it is to say, hey, we haven't talked in a while, Peter. I know it's been about six months. Hope all is well with you, your family, your podcast, everything's going well. Let me know if there's anything I could do to add more blessings to your life. Take care my man. That quick 15 seconds, you're like, wow. Right. I didn't I didn't ask for a response or anything, but me continuously sending those out. If you could send out two to three of them a day, that quick 15 seconds and everyone has social media nowadays. So that's a quick hold your phone up and use Facebook, Instagram, whatever it is that you want to send. You can even send yourself doing a TikTok video, whatever it is that can put a smile on someone else's face. I think that's the keys to growing meaningful relationships and in the end, being able to get whatever it is that you want. I love that. Uh, can you just share what was the biggest challenges for you getting into a new business and how did you overcome them? Yeah, so I've been in many businesses and I own multiple businesses now. So I think each comes with their own challenge. But I think the first thing for me, just as a core, and I think where a lot of entrepreneurs struggle is because we get in and we want to be an entrepreneur, but we keep ourselves being solopreneurs. So what do I mean by that? I mean, we figure out that we, we try to wear every single hat in the business, right? So we're our own marketers, we're our own salespeople, we're our own accountants, and we lose the sight that this thing has to be bigger than us. We lose the sight that for any business to grow, it has to be a team game. And that's where I struggled as well. It took me a long time to really be able to open up my own business. And I think I was, it wasn't until me reading books, me listening to podcasts and hearing the same thing over and over again with people talking about the value of teams and relationships that I really understand that if I wanted to go fast, yes, I could do that by myself. But if I wanted to go far, I had to have a team with me. I had to have people who were going to be great in their own respective paths and allow all of us to come together and be in, in a sense of what's called Voltron and, and be that, that major player in any industry 
in any business sense. So that would be the biggest struggle that I think I had. It was understanding really the power of a team and delegation and systems within that first six to 12 months. But after you get that, it becomes so much easier, but you have to focus on being a leader rather than a dictator. And you have to focus on systems rather than everything relying on your own time. And what is a good leader? Uh, I think a good leader is someone who empowers other people to go through times of uncertainty, but still have conviction in their heart. So what do I mean by that? I mean that when you think about great leaders, I think about, I'm huge into sports. So let's look at Tom Brady, for example, right? Let's even look at Michael Jordan, for example, maybe better because The Last Dance is on Netflix at this time. And a lot of people have been watching it. It's been sending waves throughout the world. Well, a lot of the times they were losing games before Michael got there. And then when he retired and even towards the end of the year, those Bulls players, they did not know that they were going to win championships, but they believed in the work ethic. They believed in the system and they believed in their leader and Michael that they said, listen, we're willing to run through fires because we see that he's the first one here, the last one to leave and our system's been proven. Yes, they had to win that first championship, but after they won the first one, it became so much easier after that. And so I believe that a leader can gain conviction into the people that come after him and they become leaders. Jeff Bezos, he's created, yes, we talk about him being a multi-multi-billionaire, but he's also created other billionaires, right? And he's also created a, a team of investors that are now willing to put up a lot of money behind him, his thoughts, his ideas. Same with Elon Musk and Richard Branson and a lot of other people because of the fact that they've gotten conviction even in a time of uncertainty where they don't really understand the business model, but now they're willing to fight, they're willing to go through the fire with him because of the empowerment that he's given them. And then also his work ethic. He's shown that he was the first one there, the last one to leave. And he's shown that he could build a sustainable company business. They just had to believe in him and, and follow him you know, through the trenches. And how do you deal with uh, things not going your way? You're a leader and uh, I know a lot of leaders, you want so much, but then you have to have the patience as well, right? And how do you deal with that, working with other people and kind of take those steps in order to accomplish what you guys want as a team? Yeah, so I would say the first thing is to manage your expectations when you first get started. And this is something that I learned early on, but it was, listen, they're never going to do it like you do. They're probably not going to do it as good as you. And they're not going to have the feelings that you have. Reason being is because it's not their business, right? So it's not their baby. So you have to understand, you have to meet people wherever they are. Everyone's different. That's not to say you're not going to have a disciple that becomes your CFO or your COO or anyone else. But if you can temper your expectations going in and set the right expectations on your own mindset, then I think that that allows you to be more cool, calm and collected at the end of the day. Because for me, I've wanted people to, to, to stay up hours of the night to work, but it's like, understand it they're not going to get that same type of compensation and that human nature. It's not to say everyone, I don't want to put a blanket statement, but in human nature, if they understand that they're not going to reap all of the benefits, there's only so much that probably they're willing to do before they hit the breaking point. Right. And that's just kind of the security mindset. And it's, it's a little bit of human nature. So for you, what you have to do is if you temper that and you say, figure out ways that you can empower them based off of what 
motivates them. Right. So everyone's motivated by different things. So if you all of a sudden, if you go in with the right mindset and you say, hey, I'm going to give you a raise, but you notice that the work ethic does not change, then you have to take a step back rather than getting frustrated and say, "Okay, what did I learn out of this situation? What's the best things that I could take away from this? Okay, I learned that when I gave a raise, that didn't fix it. So now let's go back to the drawing board. Let's see if we can do more culture events and see if we can do more team outings. If this person will feel like they're more a part of the team and they want to put in more hours, they want to put in more, they want to take on more responsibility. So I think that number one, you have to temper your expectations because it's so easy to say he's not doing this. She's not doing that. But if you temper your own things and you say, okay, have I assessed the situation as best as I could? Or am I assuming, you know, that, this person only wants this or this person only wants that. Once you do that, I think that it'll be a lot easier to not get as frustrated. And I think the other thing around that is to understand that when you do get frustrated, it's probably because you have not taken any breaks, right? So what do I mean by that? I think that we all need breaks into something. If you are working eight to 10 hours a day, every single day, and you know that you're on lack of sleep, lack of coffee, your body's not feeling energized, right? So if you could just take a step back, again, become cool, calm, and collected, take a breather, take a break, and ask yourself, okay, what can I do better in this situation? That's what always makes a great leader. You have to be able to assess the situation. You don't have to necessarily do every single thing or fire someone, but you have to say, okay, you know, what's the worst that could happen from this situation if I go A route? What's the worst that could happen from if I go B route? And if those things happen, will I be okay with it? Am I able to bounce back from it? You know, and if those answers are yeah, then you, you still have to choose one of those uh, options. But you have to be in the trenches and you always have to assess the situation. I love that. And being, being it almost reminds me of, 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 being a martial artist, you have to stay cool, uh, cool and assess the situation and also act accordingly because every opponent or every teammate, everybody has different needs. And, and I think we're seeing, like I work with a lot of people, but I've seen very few good leaders, unfortunately, um, because it, it's not easy being a leader. And talking about self-leadership, like what do you do to be a great leader of yourself. Can you tell us a little bit about your routines and how do you pump yourself off to create a good life? Yeah. So for me, I'm always, you know, everybody has their own things that makes them tick. But for me, I always love to think with the end in mind. So I always love to think ahead. I always love to have something to look forward to. So when I watch things like Jeff Bezos or watch someone who's very inspirational to me, whether what they did in business, um, whether they're just an innovator, right? Whether they have strong culture, whatever it is, I always love to look at those things because it lets me know that there's a little bit more that I can always be doing. Right. And that doesn't mean on a business. That means with my marriage. That means with my kids. That means with my friends, with my family. There's so many things that we can always be doing in life, but we have to recognize that. So for me, I'm constantly always looking for a way to continue to educate my brain, whether that means I'm listening to a podcast, whether that means I'm watching a YouTube video, or even if I'm consuming the right type of information, which I try to do on Instagram. Um, I always 
that's what I love to do. So that's the way. And as far as what my routine looks like when I get up in the morning, um, normally I don't check emails anymore. I, I used to be that person that checked emails all the time. But then, of course, I got an assistant who helps me out with a lot of those. So I rarely check emails anymore. I check them maybe once or twice a day, but I used to be that person that was checking them all the time. Well, of course, that means that I'm letting other people dictate my schedule, which is very tough to do. And um, then after I've, I've kind of laid there, to be honest with you, and this is something I saw with like Jeff Bezos, because I used to want to get out of bed right away, hop in the shower, but I've laid there. And the reason being is because it gives me, even if you're laying there for 15 to 20 minutes, it gives me that relaxation before the world starts. Right. And it's just, you woke up at six 30. If you can lay there till six 45, it just gives you time to have peace because if you have young kids and you got to get up and you got to get them dressed and you never know when you, I got an eight year old boy and a two and a half year old daughter. And so you never know how your mornings are going to go. You're always walking in the fire. And uh, so for me, it's, it's just having that peace. And then after I take my kids to my, my wife and I, we own a daycare center. Um, so after I take them there, then for me, it's, it's getting back on track and having team meetings with my team or now checking emails or figuring out what can I do to move my needle forward that day. And that's what a lot of my day looks like. Of course, I have podcast interviews and things like that, but that's what I would say in the beginning. And as much as I can, whenever I'm in my car, I'm always trying to listen to a podcast or audible audio book or something like that to just, again, feel like every day I tried to move the needle to be smarter and be more efficient and be more prolific than I was yesterday. Yeah. And Casanova, I'm, I'm curious, do you think that success and happiness are the same thing and can they walk hand in hand? Yeah, absolutely. I think that happiness really is success, to be honest with you, because everybody doesn't want to be an entrepreneur, right? Everybody, I think, should want to work for themselves. But the reality is everybody's not wired that way. And so you can't look down upon them. And if you're happy, if you're, you know, if some people, let's say this, for example, some people love having kids, they want to have four or five, six kids, they want to have it all. Some people are fine just traveling the world without having those responsibilities. You know, they're great uncles, they're great aunts, they're great godparents, but they're not built for kids. And so, but they still have that happiness in themselves. So I think that no matter what it is that you're doing, if you could truly say that at the end of my rope, if I live this for the next 10, 15 years, you know, or even for the rest of my life, if I would not have any regrets, if I think I won't have any regrets, then I think that that's all that really matters. Because as we know, the monetary gains, you can't take them with you. The house, you either have to pass it down or you have to sell it. You can't take it with you. The cars, all those things, you either have to sell them, pass them down or pay them off. However you're going to do it, you can't take those with you. So I think at the end of the day, we have to figure out how to be happy because there can always be another opportunity for you to make money. There can always be another opportunity for you to invest not only in stocks, but real estate, Bitcoin, everything, right? But the one thing that you can't get back is your time. And when you look back on all of the time that you spent doing whatever, were you happy or do you have those regrets? If you were happy, I think that's all you can really ask for because that means at the end of your time, you'll be peaceful. If you weren't happy, then I think at the end of the time, you'll have a lot of regrets and then you'll be very resentful. That's very, very true and interesting. And, and talking about, uh, I know you're a dreamer. How do you work with goals? And do you think it's important to chase goals? 
Yeah, I think absolutely you got to have big goals. One thing I tell people all the time is you have to be married to the destination, but you don't have to love the journey, right? But you have to be married to the destination. I think, yes, it's very important to have long-term goals. I think it's very important to have your eyes set on something. Prime example, we talk about basketball again. The goal at the beginning of the season is to win a championship, right? How many times are you going to like every single day going into the gym, putting up a thousand to 5,000 shots before you can leave the gym? Nobody really loves that. That's very monotonous, right? There's very tedious. It's, it's very trying. But at the end of the day, if you win that championship, it's great. And if you don't win it in that first year, you don't just quit. You keep going, right? But I think that with that, even though you have your eyes set on the destination, you can't say, okay, I'm going to jump from zero to 100. I think the way you have to do is you have to set little goals. You have to be able to get you a snowball mountain of wins, smaller wins, right? And it'll just start to compound. So no matter what it is that you have, if your goal is to you know, make $100,000 in one calendar year, then you have to break that down by six months, by three months, by one month, even by one week and one day right? How much do you need? And because the smaller wins allow you to gain confidence. I think why a lot of people never start is because they don't have full confidence in themselves. It was very hard to get full confidence in yourself when you're only looking at, man, I need to win a championship. Well, yeah, well, you haven't even started to get in the game yet. You're not even playing the whole game. You haven't even scored 20 points a game yet. How do you just jump straight to the league and say, I got to win a championship? So focusing on, okay, this game I have right here, you know, can I play two quarters? Okay, I played two quarters. Can I play the whole game? Okay, I played the whole game. Can I score 20? Can I score 50? And I think just taking it that way, but then after a while, you'll start to learn that it's just like pedaling a bike. In the beginning, the first pedal, the second pedal, maybe a fifth pedal, it's tough. But once you get to going, you see the wind at your face or even better at your back, and now you're just free riding. Oh, that's great. And I'm curious, when you start in real estate, what were your doubts? Like, talk us through the first couple of months. Like, what were you doubting and how, how did you or a, a mentor help you, like, kind of uh, move forward from that? Yeah. So when I first started, my doubts were that I could sell anything, right? Like, my big thing was, where, how do I sell things? And my doubts was even as well, how do I perceive, how do I have others perceive me as an expert? right? Because I was brand new and I was afraid that if they asked me any question, I wouldn't know the answer to it. So those are probably my biggest doubts. Now, how did I overcome that? I think it was just by, like I said, pedaling the bike every single day. I took every question and and I had one out. This was something I learned early when somebody would ask me something that I wasn't aware of. I say, hey, you know what? Great question. Let me talk to my broker because that's one that I don't get too often. Let me talk to my broker and, and I'll get right back to you. Is that okay? So that gave me an out on essentially anything. And it just bought me enough time where I could go figure out the right answer. And then I could come back and my people would love me. So I think that that was the big thing for me. But that that was the doubt. It was how do I bring an in income? How do I sell something? Like that was that was everything for me. And how, how did you do that? How did you get your first deal? So my, I, I got my first deal by doing open houses. So I was basically a lot of people coming through. It was a lot of trial and error. Um, I was trying to build relationships and I didn't know if it was working or if it wasn't, but I got my first deal because, you know, a couple came through an open house 
and I built a relationship with them and I just kept following up with them. And, you know, within a couple of weeks, they wound up buying a, a pretty large home and we still have a friendship to this day and it's been all great. So that was what it was. It was purely relationships and purely just going through the fire because when people first started coming through those open houses, I was doing them weeks on end with no results. And when people first started coming through those open houses, um, it wasn't going my way. At least nobody was buying. Nobody was saying, yeah, I'm going to buy with you. So every day I just had to keep showing up and believe, right? And, and that my dream would come true, that I would help people sell, buy and sell houses. And in the end, I would be able to buy my own house as well. Yeah, I think you touch on two great things, like showing up even when it's hard, right? Because once you've done something for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and you see no results, I know as a competitor and also I'm in real estate, like it's not, you start doubting yourself, right? But you, you have to show up again and again because showing up, I think, I'm not sure who said it, but showing up is 80% of success, right? It is. Uh, and I want to I want to talk a little bit uh, before we end today about what what do you want to do now? What's your why? And what's your mission? And and why is this so important to you? Yeah. So my why and my mission, everything for me has always been about the dream. So with my podcast, I want to impact a million listeners to my podcast, and I want to be able to give information that maybe is not readily shared, but I understand that I have a platform. Um, to where it's become my advantage to be able to build relationships with a lot of people. So that's what my goal is. That's what I want to do. Um, as far as what else I, I want to do and what am I looking forward to? I mean, I'm looking forward to watching my wife and my obviously my kids, but uh, my wife, she just started this business within the last year. And I mean, she doesn't come from an entrepreneurial background at all, right? But I always have a saying that I say, don't get hyped for the moment and then start to backpedal. And so a year ago, she had this opportunity that came up for her to open up a daycare from scratch, 7,500 square feet, capacity for 87 kids, right? That's a lot of responsibility when you've never owned a daycare or even owned your own business. Um, before this pandemic, she quickly got it up within six months to 60 kids, right, from, from ground up. And so um, now, obviously, there's been a lot of things with the shutting down of uh, rooms and things like that, but it's opening back up. And I mean, she's already still over 50% capacity. So I'm excited to watch her, continue to watch her evolve as a leader. And I'm excited to, to watch other people flourish as well. I love to see success. So I love this podcast. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm just excited to see what the future holds. Innovation is always cool to me. Love that. And I have two final questions. One is, I want you to imagine, Casanova, that you're 87 or maybe a little bit older. You're sitting on your porch in your rocking chair and kind of contemplating on life. Uh, what do you want to have seen to, to say, yes, this was, this was a good run? Um, yeah, I would say, to be honest with you, if I'm being candid, I would want to have seen racism suppressed. Right. I think the racism is still definitely out there. We see it all the time. Right. And luckily, some of the luckily for social media, it's becoming a lot more out there and aware, which I always have said, you know, racism is still alive. It's just concealed. Right. So I would hope to have seen that we've made significant strides when it comes to racism, when it comes to people of color being in power. Right. Um, 
and not just, you know, African-American people, I think that there's so much judgment in the world, right? And, and so my whole goal is to make sure that um, I can, those around me, that they never feel like that I judge them and that I could speak up and, and speak out even more using my platform. Um, and that that's what I would have wanted to have seen. I love that. And also what I've noticed, the more I meet people, from all over the world, from all different cultures, we realize, hey, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Like we're all human beings. So I, I love that. And I mean, it's so interesting how we can, as human beings, judge each other so much instead of opening up and say, hey, we have the same needs. How can we work together? Uh, so I, I'm with you on that mission. Any way I can assist and help, let me know. And uh, the last, the last and final question is we're all about helping people achieving their dreams. Sharing stories is amazing, but at the end of the day, I want the people that have been listening, that have been watching, that spent an hour with us to take action. So what would you say is the first step they can take in order to get a little bit closer to what they want? The first step that you can take is, is having self awareness. And what do I mean by that? We all have strengths and we all have weaknesses. The problem is we focus too much on our weaknesses and not enough on our strengths to be able to go take action. So what I would say is having self-awareness, having the awareness to know that maybe I'm not the sales guy. So that means I need to partner up with the sales guy. Maybe I am the sales guy, but I'm not the the, the back end person, which does all the bookkeeping, the taxes, or maybe just not even the marketing guy. Yes, they can go hand in hand in a lot of things, but figuring out where are your weak points and then hiring, you know, or partnering, giving some equity, whatever you need to do so you could just get that needle moving forward. So that's what I would say. That's the number one thing. You have to figure out what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses? Because if you know those are your strengths, then it's easier for you to take action. But if you're only focusing on the weaknesses, then go hire that out. And then I think that you'll be totally fine. I think that's great. And I've seen, I remember competing in karate. We saw people winning a world championship by being the best at one thing. And when, when I was new, I realized like, I got to be good at everything. And my coach told me, no, you got to be really, really fucking good at one thing mm-hmm. <laughs> that, that could take you anywhere. Right. Right. Uh, Casanova, uh, I really appreciate your time. If people want to connect with you, like how, how do people get in touch? Yeah. So I'm the most active well, you can go to casanovabrooks.com, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A brooks.com. Um, and then um, I'm the most active on Instagram. So Casanova, C-A-S-A-N-O-V-A underscore Brooks. Uh, but then also if you, you know, like the things that I say and, and you've gotten any value out of this, I think the number one place to probably reach me is through the podcast, uh, which is the Dream Nation podcast. So those would be the three places that, that I'm connected with people the most. Awesome. Thank you, Casanova. And thank you, everybody. If you're still here an hour in, it means that this have hopefully given you some value in your life. Uh, I want you to take action. And there's a couple of things I want you to do. First of all, uh, I want you to go to a special place or meditate on the things that Casanova told you today and, and get some self-awareness. What are you good at and what do you need to develop in? Also, check us out at ilovesuccess.co. We have more than 180 of these amazing conversations with incredible people 
uh, listen to those, uh, learn and take action. Don't be the person that just going to the next podcast, next podcast. Instead, take action on what you've learned today. Also, I have a big fat mission. I want to help at least 10 million people to go after their dreams. I can't do it myself. Uh, Casanova can't do it himself. So show us some love. Share this with somebody that needs to hear this message. And that's it. Thank you so much, guys. Peace and love.